0: Women are at least half of the population. If that half is not having access to what would allow them to fulfill their potential, one is deliberately subduing growth and economic mm. development.
1: Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development, and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at debt and why women suffer the most when countries with large borrowing burdens are forced to cut back on spending. The current cost of living crisis has not helped, but women typically have struggled to make ends meet and avoid falling into debt. Gender inequalities in society mean women are routinely paid less than men and are more likely to leave work to care for children or elderly relatives. With countries now facing higher borrowing costs and high prices for food and energy, There is an extra damaging impact on women when government resort to austerity measures. Health and education are often the first places to be cut, depriving women of relatively good jobs in the public sector and forcing more of them to be unpaid caregivers. Girls are often the ones taken out of school when family budgets are tight. Well, joining me now to talk about ways to achieve more financial equality is Penelope Hawkins. Penelope recently travelled to Kandagar in India for a G20 working meeting and got to see the impact of the cost of living crisis firsthand. Well, welcome, Penelope. Thanks Thank for joining you. us today. Tell us more about why women are more likely than men to struggle with debt and how does this disparity create everyday challenges for women?
0: You've just
1: come from India and you've seen the impact firsthand.
0: Yes, India, of course, is a a marvellous economy where one can see huge areas of development over recent years. But of course, the cost of living crisis pulls the whole economy down, and particularly women. And if we undertake gender analysis on household and country debt, we can see how debt has a more profound effect on women. If you just think about these roles that women tend to perform in society as citizens, caregivers, and employees, the gendered outcomes of debt become obvious. As you've already pointed out, that as citizens, women have the right to have... Access to basic and adequate social services such as healthcare and education and pensions. And regardless of the equal rights men and women may enjoy in society, where there are deficiencies in basic public services, it tends to impact more on women and girls than on men generally. The key issue, if one just thinks about reduced expenditure, for example, on healthcare particularly for women of a reproductive age, that affects not only their income earnings, but their longevity. And it's women, of course, who die giving birth, not men. And of course, as caregivers, where there's reduced public support for the elderly or for the young, it's women who have to provide that work. And that, of course, impedes the access of women to labor market participation but also leads to lower wages and greater informality and makes their engagement in the formal sector more precarious.
1: So everybody is feeling the pain from this uh, global cost of living crisis, but how much worse is it for women in developing countries?
0: So perhaps we can think about a developing country with significant external debt And right now, in order to service that debt, given the current global situation where we've had increased interest rates in advanced countries, and that's also led to exchange rate depreciation, governments have to shift resources to meet those rising debt needs. We're not even talking about austerity measures. And if that shifts away from health, it means that for many women, particularly in outlying areas where there are now closures of clinics or reduced access to doctors, the only option may be to either delay or to forego treatment. And in most societies, the most vulnerable are women and girls. Indeed, what we do see from the studies is that women tend to borrow as much as men when they do have access to financial services. But, of course, what's interesting is that for women in poorer nations, they borrow for health services. Right. They borrow to pay for health services. And that really underlines the need for a public health care system.
1: Now, what impact does this debt trap for women have more broadly on economies
0: and societies? Women are at least half of the population. And if we are allowing a situation to take place where that half is not, first of all, adequately remunerated for the work they're doing, and they are not having access to what would allow them to fulfill their potential, whether that be education or healthcare, then in fact, one is deliberately subduing growth, and economic mm. development. We have to acknowledge that gender is a sociocultural role and set of responsibilities that have been assigned to both men and women, but we know that's not immutable. If one were to watch a, a movie from the 50s, you would immediately see how things have changed. I think right now we have a great chance to make a difference as increasingly both in public... And in private, people are beginning to be aware that gender disparity undermines development for all.
1: The spring meetings of the World Bank and the IMF are happening this month. How high priority do you expect debt to be and what steps should be taken or advised specifically to help women?
0: Debt is a human rights issue. And it's also a gender issue. And in order to support developing countries, to get out of a debt-led growth cycle and expand fiscal space for gender equality boosting development, we need alternative approaches on a range of matters. Firstly, of course, we need a changed international financial architecture and a multilateral debt workout mechanism, which will go some way to start to change how debt is undertaken and how it is serviced by countries. Right now, the UN has a number of things on the table. We are calling for increased multilateral development bank lending, mostly because, of course, those loans tend to be more concessional and therefore much cheaper to repay. We're also calling for a regular and new special drawing rights issuance that's focused on development and also elimination of surcharges, which is the extra interest rate charge to those countries that are really reliant on IMF financing. I think the bottom line is if we want to prioritize gender in development, then a debt relief initiative may well be needed. But at the same time, countries often tend to also build up reserves. And the reason they do that is because they're so aware that there could well be capital flight when they least want it. It's not really a surprise that in a world where least developed countries are currently paying away 20% of their export earnings in debt servicing, that they spend less than half of what the world average share to GDP is on health budgets. So these countries are spending 4% on their health budget instead of 9%, Mm. which is the global average. And of course, it's also in these very same countries where the maternal mortality ratio is six times greater than what the SDG target sets the world. This seems to really underline how the debt-led growth, the dependence on debt needs to be readjusted. And I think part of that is rethinking how, These countries are not only part of global development chains, but what access to markets they have, how they can best beneficiate their exports. This is really a story about how can trade conditions improve for these countries so that debt-led growth is not really the only alternative. We really need a sea change in the debt architecture. Mm -hmm.
1: Penelope, some striking statistics there. So what happens in the longer term if these disparities are not addressed?
0: Well, without a real change in the international debt architecture and an improvement in the access of developing countries to financing that is commensurate with their ability to repay, given their current trade profiles, I think we're going to sacrifice our development goals. And not just goal five of the sustainable development goals, which is all about women and girls equality, but all of them, because the costs of business as usual has cascading risks and negative consequences for us all sober
1: news, Penelope, but thank you for joining us today. That's Penelope Hawkins, who is this week's guest. Tune into to the Weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. And there's even more on our website, unctag.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva.
0: Goodbye for now.